0: to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well today is the fifth Sunday of Lent and this is the last uh, of our series on the mechanics that goes into the idea of spirituality. Next Sunday is our Good Friday. Only in the Aspen Chapel would Good Friday be on a Sunday. Uh, But I think it's important that we look at the cross as well as Easter. And given that most of us have other things to do on Fridays, Sunday seems the best option to do that. Um, over the last few weeks, as I said, I've tried to look at the mechanics of spirituality. Just as an engineer learns math and physics uh, to put his or her engineering into practice, we have to learn, I think, the mechanics of spirituality not just the warm fuzzies that we often think about, but the nuts and bolts that go into engaging with the spiritual side of life. In the first week, um, I said that we begin, as Thomas Merton suggested, with, we begin with an intellectual ascent. We begin with the mind giving up to the heart and serving it in its journey into love. That's the starting point, the mind giving up to the heart we then have the realisation that all of consciousness is one entity. There's no duality, but we're all interconnected in an interdependent way. And this then leads on to the understanding that our role is to sense the guiding of love that's within us so that we can manifest that love all around us. We looked at the idea of seeing life as a meditation where we can either choose the survival of the mind or the love of the heart. And in choosing the heart, in choosing love, we join with the love that's both within us and around us. We then looked at the danger of falling into the temptation of thinking that because we're on a spiritual path, that we know what's right and we know what works. And we know what love is and therefore we are supposedly in a position to tell others that pride that takes us off the path. And last week, we looked at the bigger picture, our role in the evolving transformation of consciousness and the fact that what we do matters and that we have a unique effect on that evolution through our actions. For me, these mechanics of spirituality provide a worldview that enables us to deal with any situation that comes our way and at the same time make a contribution to the development of the whole of which we're a part. I always say really that the ground zero of our spirituality here at the chapel is to find ways together of living our lives more skillfully. It's really about how do we skillfully live and this worldview, I think, enables us to do that. Religion and spirituality are all about worldviews. There are the historic worldviews, such as the sun being pulled through the sky by the chariot of the gods. That's one worldview <clears throat> the worldview that some people had that we must sacrifice our children to the gods in order for the crops to grow. Uh, All the laws of the Jewish religion, that's another worldview. Or the idea that Jesus is at the right hand of God and that we must be good in order to get to heaven, there's another worldview. All these are worldviews that aim to help people who believe in them to live the best possible lives. Obviously, in hindsight, we can see that not all of them match up to our current knowledge of the world. But I think what everybody's looking for is a robust worldview that's able to take into account anything that comes our way and doesn't rely on fantasy or impossibilities. Richard Raw calls these fantasy worldviews idealised, fabricated realities, idealized fabricated realities we create these realities of the world in our heads an idealized worldview and then we try and live within those views as long as we can the trouble with this is that when it all falls down we have to start all over again the rain comes the streams rise the winds blow and beat at that house and it falls with a great crash I think the strength of this nuts and bolts approach to spirituality is that I think it stands up to scrutiny. It gives you a way of looking at life that's both robust and allows you to rest in the peace that all of us seeks, that peace that passes all understanding. And from my perspective, it works from every angle. And it also fits with modern scientific thought. And here's the here's the basic idea that we've been going through uh, as it's evolved you know with scientific hindsight <clears throat> you know we begin with the big bang consciousness becomes manifest in all the atoms that appear in that moment of creation and over 13.7 billion years humanity emerges as the conscious self-respecting self-reflecting product Of years of evolution. The universe develops in such a way as to become conscious of itself. And we humans are the manifestation of that cutting edge of development. Through philosophy, through love of wisdom, we come to see that the universe is all of a one and that we're not separate from it, but are part of it like a drop in the ocean. This oneness is what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. The Taoists call the Tao. Hinduism, Atman. Buddhists, the Buddha nature. It is a place infused by the divine creative force manifesting as material reality and everything evolves through the action of love. As conscious beings, We realise that our understanding is limited. So we choose to live within the limited understanding, not to try and know the answers, but to live within the great questions about the nature of reality. We choose to live within those questions, the answers being too wonderful for us to know, as the psalmist says. We then have the humility to not know and to accept our roles of being a portal for love at the centre of all things to enable love to come into the world and to enable the gradual and evolutionary transformation of consciousness to come through us. We choose in our lives, therefore, to become living sacrifices, sacrificio, made holy by our trust in the unfolding of the universe and our willingness to be used by it. Our lives are lived through the portal of the present moment. And in that present moment, in this present moment, all that we need is given to us to respond to. The problems, the dramas, the episodes that come our way are all opportunities for us to bring love into the world through our loving response to what comes our way. Our role is not to come up with marvellous ideas as to how to make the world a better place, just to respond lovingly to what we see in front of us. And to that end, our minds have a role to play, discerning when to act. To wait, as the Tao says, for the mud to settle, and right action to arise by itself. Up to this point in our evolution, the mind has played the part of ensuring our survival. And to that end, it's persuaded us that we're separate from everything else so that we can effectively defend ourselves. With the rise of understanding and the emergence of our hearts becoming dominant, the mind now chooses to serve the heart. It recognizes the oneness of all things. It trusts the unfolding universe as it presents itself to us in the present moment, and it enables us to respond with love. To do this takes the humility that Merton spoke about not trying to control outcomes, by being meek, having a right relationship with the divine, seeking peace in ourselves and trusting the nature of our universe, even when having to deal with suffering. From that, we're asked to take mastery of the process, not to rely on outside masters, but Having trust in our own process and the way that the universe will help us to be part of the evolution of the greater whole. This this is our foundation. We have the wisdom with this to deal with anything that comes our way so we can relax into that peace that passes all understanding. We don't have to think up ways for getting what we want or even making the world a better place. Now instead, we confine ourselves to our actions through the portal of the present moment. Our personal viewpoint into the universe is that portal, and we're given it for the short time of our lives, those four score years and 10, if we're lucky. We're handed this understanding by our ancestors through both their genes and the information they've left in consciousness, in books, in memories, in art, in the oral tradition. All experience that has ever been is left for us to use in that library of consciousness. Our minds serving our hearts help us to navigate our way through life. There is no greater enlightenment to achieve no experience to have other than that which we're having, no no goal to attain, no greater contribution to make. This is it, the foundation of all. And for me, it works in all cases and in all situations, whatever comes our way, wealth, poverty, ill health, fame, persecution. It's all up to us to respond lovingly in the present moment to those things that come to us, to bring the love from within us out into the universe and therefore help in the transformation of consciousness until that omega moment, the second coming, when all creation sees itself as a manifestation of the divinity that supports all life how and when that comes about, is not for us to know. We just play our part. And it seems to me that this is a completely reliable and robust worldview that will take us through anything. It contains the wisdom of the scriptures, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Taoist, and Islamic. And even it prepares us for death something we'll talk about next week when we look at the crucifixion. You know, as a priest, people often come up and ask me, what happens when we die? And I always have to say, I don't know. What I do know is that in meditation, I experience a kind of death. It's the death of the mind as I put my attention on my breath, my mind is not consciously thinking it's in the background. And while I focus my attention on my breath, I'm without that identity that the mind creates for me. For me, when we die, it's the mind that dies. I'm with the mind's sense of identity that we assume. That also dies. In the same way as meditation My best guess is that when we die, our life force, our spirit, rejoins the life force of all creation and evolution as it moves towards completion. All that we've done in our lives remains contained in that library of information and consciousness. It exists there, available to all those that come after And all that we are when we die, I think, is merged with all that is. I think we also have to account for that idea of the eternal now. And that comes into this idea of death, in which there's not just the present moment. There's only the present moment, really. But we we think of it in terms of time. In the idea of the eternal now our conceptualization of the nature of time is the illusion that our mind builds up in the same way that it builds up the illusion of separation. And I think to include that concept of the eternal now adds to the idea that death is part of the mind's self-identification. Really what we lose is that self-identification. It's a way to justify itself for the mind to justify itself in terms of time but i think you know now we're going again into areas that are too wonderful for us to know we just have to see death in the same way that we see life as something that we'll be able to respond to in a loving way as it presents itself to us in the present moment in that way Death is just a part of life. So, for me, the Holy Grail in all our lives, what we're looking for, what everyone's looking for, is a worldview that works in all situations, in all times, and in all ways. When something happens, there's always a place to go that will enable us to respond appropriately we will fully experience what's happening. We don't try to minimize the pain by blaming someone else. We take up the position of the adult in the room and see the pain as the raw material that the universe is giving us to transform. Our response to this affects us. It affects the situation we're in and it affects everything that connects With that situation which given that we are one with the universe means everything we then have a chance of drawing from within from the love that's at the center of everything rather than reacting with our minds and our loving response is our contribution to both the situation and to everything connected with it whatever the situation health finance family work, politics, whatever comes our way, we're able to respond within a context of love and make a contribution to the evolution of consciousness. And the only way we can lose this, we can lose this way of doing it, is if we're not conscious of the bigger picture. If we lose that connectedness with everything that bigger picture of our contribution of our role within the transformation of consciousness if we lose that and instead we begin to think only of our own little lives and how we can get the best for ourselves this narrow view makes us try and escape the path of pain that's in front of us because we want to live our lives more pleasurably So we take our eyes off the bigger game and try to win at the smaller game. And in doing that, we let go of the Holy Grail and it falls from our fingers and smashes on the ground in front of us. The path of love is the path of the Grail. This is not a worldview that depends on everything being okay because we're all going to heaven, however awful things are now. It does not depend on everything being okay because Jesus loves us and gave his life for us because it says so in the Bible. It does not depend on us dying as a martyr. It does not depend on how we behave. It does not depend on how we think. It does not depend on others' to tell you that you're okay. It just depends on being with whatever is and responding in a loving way. That's the essence of enlightenment. And it's mirrored in all the great spiritual texts, the Tao Te Ching, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Dharmapada, and the Quran. The essence of it is, is that there is a perfection in life underlying everything. And if we were but to choose to be a part of that perfection rather than fight it, then we can find the peace and serenity that we all seek. This robust view is available for us to use in our day-to-day living. While everybody else is rushing about, consuming what they want and looking for answers, the universe is offering us the gift of the peace that passes all understanding through a radical acceptance of what is. This is not something that's discovered by science. However, it may be that science does get there in the end. It's something that comes from lived experience, passed on from one person to another, generation after generation, and it's realised in our own individual lives. If you're looking for a code to live by that's unfailing, then this is it. We just have to have the courage, courage, literally the heartness, to trust in the universe and in our lives to live by it. That's how the great masters lived. And this is their contribution to us. They lived out a truth that's offered to all. And as consciousness evolves, so the truth of this lived out acceptance will gradually bring about the fulfillment of the created universe. How or when this will happen is too wonderful for us to know. Thank you. So yeah, I think it's quite interesting um, that, you know, we have some fear in our lives a lot of the time. But this idea that, that you will always have the wisdom to be able to deal with whatever situation comes your way, to me is very comforting indeed, that somehow it, it, it comes to you and that you don't have to worry about things, even death, because if you just keep within that, that understanding of the way that our lives are within the universe, then that wisdom is there and we will know how to respond.
1: Yeah, I was, I was struck by that one thing you said about that finding the, the, the wisdom and the teacher within. Like we're very prone to trying to find it from other people and other teachers. But always, it's always inside us and available to us if we just stay close in and, and listen. That is the
0: danger, isn't it, that when, when you think, oh, well, I don't know myself, I must know, you know, the Pope must tell me or the Buddha must tell me, uh, I must look and find someone who will tell me what to do or get the best advice. Whereas, you know, it's it's there within you, Ritter, isn't it, that, that actual understanding, that knowledge to be able to respond to those situations.
2: Yeah, but for me... Yeah, and I go to Second Corinthians is you know, the very first thing when you talk about love. Love is patient. Yeah, and patience um, is. And, you know, I've learned this the hard way in my life in many ways, but to me, it's taking the time to to let the wisdom arise and to be patient, not be in a rush, and just wait for it. And I think that that's that's the as your imagery waiting for the the, the water. The mud to clear, and that's what in our rushed, uh, rushed world that we're always trying to find the fastest way uh, to go and trying to find the most expeditious and the best outcome. Uh, we miss. We actually end up missing the world.
0: I, I that's so interesting that thing about patience because the reason that we're impatient is that we're not willing to follow the path of pain. Mm-hmm. Is is that we want to get off that path, and so when it's coming our way, we don't say, "I'm just going to wait." in this pain until the the right moment arrives. We think, no, how do I get off it? You know, so we're not willing to be patient. But the path of pain ultimately will take us in that direction.
1: Well, and it's like that line you said, do I want to live my life more pleasurably or more skillfully? Yeah. That, that's, the, that's the question. Like, and also having, as you said, the bigger picture and, and a long, long view of history that we've just got our our turn right now and it's you know to see our lives within the huge sweep of history and evolution is so helpful isn't it just to see that we're just a part of it not to take ourselves too seriously
0: (laughs) and and i love that thing from tom uh, keating he always says that in meditation the practice is not putting your attention on your breath he says the practice is coming back to your breath once your mind is taken in another direction. That's the practice. And in life, you know, when something comes to us, you know, it is so easy to, to you know, go off on, on one and try and deal with it and not have the patience that Richard is speaking about. But instead, you know, the practice is to come back and think, no, here I am on this path of pain. And actually, I'm just going to wait here. And I'm going to, my practice is to come back.
1: That's what I love about Centering Prayers, that it's all about a part, the pathway of return. It's all about coming back to, to your sacred word or your breath. Like, it's all about coming back, coming back, coming back, and letting go. Letting, yeah. I mean, that's, golly, if only we could learn that when, at the beginning of our lives. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes, but
0: the other interesting thing is that you know, that's what we, we do learn in our lives. We've learned up to now You know, our lives have been a process arriving at this point. And, you know, most of us in our congregation are of a certain age. And the amazing thing is that we've spent our lives getting to this point. And once you find find that holy grail, why would you want to go back and live another way? I I was sent a poem by uh, Patty Webster. And it's a poem I've actually used before in in services. Uh, And it's... Home. You know, it's the idea that after you find that way of being, that, that way of, of doing things, you don't want to go back to living your life a different way. It's called, Why Mirabai Can't Come Back to Her Old House. Why Mirabai Can't Come Back to Her Old House. And Mirabai was a 15th century princess who was devoted to Lord Krishna. And she was in love with him from early childhood and her poems of love and devotion are to Krishna. And her devotion made her go against all the traditions and customs of her time and made Mirabai the most famous of the women poets of North India of that time. And she's talking in this poem about why would I, why would I want to go the way of the world when I have found that which works? Why Mirai, Mirabai can't come back to her old house? The colors of the dark one have penetrated mirror's body. All the other colors washed out. Making love with the dark one and eating little. Those are my pearls and my carnelians. Meditation beads and the forehead streak. They are my scarves and my rings. That's enough feminine wiles for me. My teacher taught me this. Approve me or disapprove me. I praise the mountain energy night and day. I take the path that ecstatic human beings have taken for centuries. I don't steal money. I don't hit anyone. What will you charge me with? I have felt the swaying of the elephant's shoulders. And now you want me to climb on a jackass. Try to be serious. I love that. I have felt the swaying of the elephant's shoulders. That's the, the swaying of the elephant's shoulders is that path that includes everything. And now you want me to climb on a drash Gas. Try to be serious. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.